Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute, episode number 56. We are talking feed, feeding, and food biochemistry for food animals. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 56 of the podcast. So excited to be here. It's a drizzly, drizzly Halloween here in Maine. And we are going to have some very disappointed pumpkins who are going to be rather bedraggled trick-or-treating, I think. But... Oh, well, such is life sometimes. Uh, So welcome. Thank you so much uh, for being here to everybody who's joining us live on the podcast in the proofing box. Thanks for taking the time out this afternoon. I hope the podcast is super useful. And as always, we'll be having office hours afterwards where y'all can ask Dr. P anything. within reason, I suppose, <laughs> passive questions, preventive controls questions, more in-depth questions on uh, on uh, today's topic, which is uh, feeds and food animal digestive biochemistry, because somebody's got to talk about it on a podcast, right? Everybody else is talking politics and style and uh, business coaching and things like that. And here, here we talk about digestive biochemistry because we are just that much fun. <laughs> and as I like to say, they don't call me doctor for nothing. So at the top of the podcast, uh, I'd like, first of all, to invite everybody to come and join us over on the proofing box. If you are not watching this live and you're not already there, we have a wicked ton of fun. We've answered some good questions, had some good discussions this week. So that's been super fun. Uh, and then I am going to be doing a uh, webinar in, um, uh, I guess it's the second week of Wednesday. I think I announced it as the third uh, as the third week of November, but since um, apparently I didn't learn to count by the time I got to vet school, it would actually be the second Wednesday of November. So it's the, it's the 13th at one o'clock in the afternoon, um, and it's all about what are QA systems uh, and how do we understand QA systems. So those are, it's going to actually be pretty awesome. I'm going to talk to you about like what it all means and um, it'll be super, it'll be super interesting. If you have any interest in supplying a safe and quality product to your customers, <laughs> so which I think everybody probably already um, is pretty interested in doing. And then uh, finally, I would love it if you gave a five-star review because those things make a super big difference in um, who the podcast can reach, who I can reach out to and get on their podcast and say, hey, I have this many listeners every week on the podcast, really actually makes a really big difference in being able to get out the um, the message of wealth and community that we're building here at the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast and Dirigo Food Safety. So I'm super excited to do that. This week, I have been reading Simon Sinek's new book, The Infinite Game, and I think that this book is amazing for local and sustainable food and ag people because it talks about the difference between finite games games and infinite games. And my friends, we are playing an infinite game, and I would love to hear from anybody else who may have read the book. Again, it's The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek, and... 
it's amazing. I mean, it's just been one of those real eye-opening books and where, where you're like, wait, didn't I already know this? And you do know this because you work in local and sustainable food and we are very much in an infinite game of building the soils. I mean, who's going to win at building the soils? Nobody wins at building the soils, right? Nobody, that's, that's, that's not a game you win. Who wins at building wealth and community uh, in local and regional food production? We all win, right? <laughs> and that's the point of an infinite game is that we all win, that it's not a game you ever actually win. It's a game you pass on to your children. And that's what we're doing here. And it is so amazing that I get to have that journey with you. So, so with that, let's talk about the uh, topic at hand. So of course this week we're doing a technical topic and it's food and um, feeding of food animals. I'm not, I'm not gonna try and say that too many times because that's a lot of Fs on one podcast. I am primarily covering uh, ruminants, so cattle basically, and pigs. And I am not covering fish feeding because there are not a whole lot of people who do concentrated fish feeding operations uh, who listen to my podcast. So I'm not gonna, not gonna talk about that. Uh, then, uh, then there's also poultry feeding. So the vast majority of y'all have what we would consider backyard pastured poultry. Commercial, um, commercial feeds are what we feed those guys. If you have questions about um, if you have questions about what um, what you should be feeding about um, you know like antimicrobials and things like that and coccidia stats in your poultry feed, totally happy to cover those during office hours after the uh, podcast. Um, so, but what I want to really start out with is, as many of you know, I am a veterinarian, and several years ago, the Food and Drug Administration created a new classification of drugs. So most people know about prescription drugs and over-the-counter drugs, okay? Well, there was an entirely new classification created a couple years ago, and those are called veterinary feed-directed drugs, okay? There, this is an entirely new classification of drugs. You don't need a prescription for it. You need a veterinary feed directive. In order to get a veterinary feed directive, you must have a relationship with a veterinarian. So if you are putting drugs into your feed at the feed mill, I highly recommend that you talk to your feed mill and ask them what they are doing about VFD drugs. Just about everybody has this in hand by now. You know, this is not a big deal at the AVMA meetings really anymore. And people are really dealing with it. So if feeding medicated feeds, uh, especially to swine, uh, to turkeys, to ruminants is and, and other sorts of poultry is part of your uh, feeding protocol, your best bet is to talk to your feed mill. So I'm not, uh, I'm not going to belabor that point. If you have questions, by all means, ask them. If I don't know the answer, I'll go find it. But the veteran just know that you can't willy-nilly put um, drugs in food anymore. And these are mostly antibiotics, antimicrobials of, of human health importance. Uh, and I don't think we don't call them performance enhancing drugs, but converters, you know, like drugs that increase conversion, feed conversion and things like that. So those are those are all under uh, VFDs. And so and with feed conversion, that actually brings us to the the, the, the basis of this month's uh, this week's podcast, which is what the heck do we feed our animals so that we can get what we want? All right. So going back to the idea of the infinite game. 
when we feed our animals, I want you to ask your, yourself the question is, are you feeding your animals um, for a finite or for an infinite game, basically? Um, and who's the, who's the winner? Now, of course, if your animal goes to the knacker, I will tell you, you're the winner, <laughs> okay? From the animal's perspective, we are a big believer in one bad day. But that being said, are, you know, one of the things that's most amazing about local and sustainable agriculture in pasture-based uh, pasture animal raising is that we allow our animals to create uh, much more natural life cycles right until we end them. And that, my friends, is much more infinite game the way the way that you allow your carcasses to build carcass quality is in fact as simon sinek says an infinite game and i know that's a really weird way to look at it but so many so much of the time the conversation out there with the quote-unquote experts is about carcass gains and feed conversions and it's very narrow and very limited in scope I personally think that creating marbling in pork is not a conversation most pork experts know how to have. And so when we talk about feeding, we never talk about that. Okay. When I was taught, when I was taught all of this stuff in my, in my ag sci classes, animal science and in vet school, nobody talked about marbling in pork. We talked I mean, we kill all our commodity pork at six months. What the heck? Who has time to marble anything? Right. And so I want to go dive into all of this stuff, helping you understand that there really is a limited understanding of the, of the ways that we are going back to treating our animals and pasturing and foraging our animals with the um, parallel to the international nature of the animal feed business. Okay. So we have access to foods and feeding uh, regimens and things for animals that people, that, I mean, like 90% of the world's pigs are pastured folks. And the way we feed those animals, um, especially here in the United States and in, in Western European countries is dramatically different. Those, those pastured animals are fed dramatically different because they are by and large supplemented um, grain fed with highly processed industrialized grains. And that is an entirely different conversation around free ranging your pork than most of the rest of the world is having. <laughs> okay. So I want to keep that in, I want to keep that in mind because when you're out there researching this or you're talking to the experts and things like that, you really only have two kinds of experts. You have the kind of experts that are raising, raising hogs in developing nations that are trying to create CAFO type systems. And you have the experts that already know how to create CAFO type systems and feed animals in CAFO type systems. And we, my friends, are doing it a third way. <laughs> okay, We are taking the, um, the knowledge that we have that we've gained around feeds and feeding biochemistry and conversion and things like that and trying to make the best carcasses we can on pasture, on, on, on free ranging animals, because we believe in all of the things that brings us as people, as farm families, as farming communities. And so they're not all the straight and easy answers out there when you're looking for them. All right. So with that in mind, <laughs> okay, we're going to, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about feeds and 
feeding and let's start with uh let's start with cattle so when we start with cattle the first thing i always have to explain is that cattle do not digest the same way that we digest they essentially have an oil drum in the middle of their their belly that digests for them okay and digestion, the, the short version of, of digestive physiology is it starts in all animals with teeth and saliva, okay? And with cattle, this is especially true. Cattle and other small ruminants ruminate to break their food into smaller and smaller bits. The higher the non-structured carbohydrates, we call them. So these are um, lignin, these are fibers, you know, that sort of stuff. Those are non-structured carbohydrates. The more of that that's in their feed, the longer it takes to digest and the less feed conversion that you will have. Um, this is something that we like over in, <laughs> in, 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 in the pasture-based world. This is, this is a good thing because the slowing down of conversion is actually what gets you thicker muscles like or, or more compact muscles the way the muscle the muscle cells are actually laid down okay so it is a, in in cattle it is primarily important for that feed to be broken down into smaller and smaller and smaller bits okay so the teeth grind together and and uh, break the grasses and things into smaller bits the tongue is also part of that <laughs> um, and then the cattle swallows the grasses and it um, they get deposited into the rumen okay and then they get burnt back up right that's ruminating and they and and the the ruminating is also off gassing because what the cow has to do or the steer has to do is you break everything down into as small bits as possible and then there is this whole complement of microbial flora in the rumen that exists to do two basic things, produce volatile fatty acids and produce ammonia, okay? And they do this by breaking down the forages, breaking down themselves, you know, these, this, there's a whole community there and there's a significant amount of protein that a cattle gets from the death of the own bacteria in its own stomach, <laughs> okay? So that's important to know. It's those volatile fatty acids and ammonia that the cattle then uses to build structural proteins and carbohydrates that then go and make cells, okay? Proteins are very large, very complex molecules. They have what we call quaternary structure, all right? They're prime and quaternary structure means they have four components to their structure. Their primary structure is their amino acids. All right, we're gonna have a much bigger amino acid conversation when we talk about swine because amino acids are a big deal in swine. Um, and those, the, those primary, those, those primary, um, uh, the primary folding of, of, of what we call it is um, those amino acids. Those amino acids then fold into themselves. That's the secondary structure. The folds fold. That's tertiary structure. And then two tertiary structures associate with each other, and that's quaternary structure. That's all proteins, <laughs> okay? That's the short version of proteins. All of those amino acids come from ammonia and ammonia products in cattle, okay? So like everything else, we've got to look at protein and protein digestibility and feedstuffs vary greatly in protein digestibility. The protein of common grains and supplements is between 75 and 
digestible. For those of you who feed alfalfa, that's about 70% digestible and other grass hays are between 35 and 50% digestible, okay? The protein of these lower quality feeds, weathered grasses, um, range grasses, and other sorts of things that we tend to throw at, to throw at cattle, um, up to and including plastic, those are digested super poorly. They're still very important because of the room and mat that they create, which creates the habitat for the bacteria. So don't do the takeaway for this is do not feel like you have to go feed the most expensive uh, um, grains and supplements. That's a very high level of protein and that's not what I'm saying, okay? You need to have enough protein in there so the microbial protein production in the rumen um, can occur and utilize those low protein feeds. I mean, it's all a cycle and don't worry about it too much. Um, but there has to be a base level of protein in there or the roughage just won't get digested. Now, how do we get that base level? Well, if it's not already occurring in the, in, in the um, grasses that you are feeding. So what does this tell you? That you need to get your grass analyzed, <laughs> okay? So this is really, really important. You need to know what, what, is, what is in your grass and what the level of structural carbohydrates are versus non-structural carbohydrates. So that's the structural carbohydrates, again, are the things like lignin and fiber. That's what keeps the grass up. Non-structural carbohydrates are things that keep the grass sweet. Okay, so spring grass much higher in non-structural carbohydrates than late fall grass. And if for those of you who do multiple cuttings, I mean, I think I mean, if we get if we get some sunshiny days in November, we're probably going to have another cutting up here in Maine. Uh, those grasses are going to tend to be much much lower in non-structural carbohydrates and much higher in structural carbohydrates. Uh, and then whoever feeds those grasses probably in March of next year is going to have to add um, protein sources. A lot of protein, you know, we, this is a source of great controversy both in cattle and in, and in swine feeding because cattle do need protein, but we, what, what cattle really need is a source of nitrogen. And because of mad cow disease, we really don't feed cattle back to cattle. That's why they were doing that. They were feeding protein back to cattle and thus, uh, we had the mad cow disease, all right, because we cattle are not supposed to eat cattle, right? Um, so now we have to find um, non-protein nitrogen, all right? Most of that comes from urea, and uh, urea is generally chemically synthesized. You can, um, you know, like uh, chicken, chicken manure is pretty high level of urea. So often cattle that are um, co-grazing with chickens or are on... Um, or on fields where the chickens um, uh, scratched b before the last uh, uh, turnover, those are, tend to be reasonably high um, in nitrogen and the cattle can break those down, okay? So those, the, all of that nitrogen in that really fresh grass pretty readily uh, broken down. If you don't have that sort of fresh grass, that's where grains uh, come in and it's primarily so we can supplement protein. So how much protein are we talking about? All right. With all animals and, and ruminants are no exception with all animals, the younger they are, the more protein they need to the point which when cattle are born, they don't eat grass. They only eat milk, right? 
very high protein, very high fat, allows them to um, grow very, very quickly. And they actually have this rumen bypass when they're born where their rumen is completely non-functional. They have to learn, teach, teach their rumen, I suppose, how to function. And that doesn't come until much, much, much later. All right, so protein, very high for babies, kind of no matter what species we're talking about. And then in cattle, uh, when they're at the weaner stage and then you're going to backgrounding, we're looking for about a 15% protein ration and about a 5% fat ration. Too high of a fat ration, all right, and they're not getting enough roughage because of the way the brain signaling works, all right? So 15%, as, as the animal gets older, 15% protein from weaning and then back it off from there, okay? No more than 5% fat. Again, access to fresh water. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, research out there that talks about shigatoxin E. coli circulating through cattle through dirty water feeding. Uh, okay, so please clear it, clean out your 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 waters. <laughs> please clean out your waters. All right, so that's the basics um, behind cattle. They will get so we believe in salt licks for cattle that provides trace minerals. Um, sometimes you need mineral supplementation, vitamin supplementation, but if you're feeding a reasonably good corn-based diet or, or um, grass-based diet and supplementing with corn, you probably won't need those. They do love salt lick, um, right? So that's, um, that's what we have for cattle. All right, so that uh, being said, let's talk about pigs. Um, Pigs, unlike cattle and much like us, are what we call monogastric. So they have one stomach, unlike um, cattle, which they also have one stomach. They have four compartments in one stomach. Pigs and humans have one compartment in one stomach. And they balance energy, i.e. carbohydrates and, um, and fats in their diet. And they eat to satisfy their carbohydrate cravings. This is the same thing as people. This is different from cattle. Uh, and this is also different from, if you guys are on the podcast, you probably saw my cat climbing around behind me. You know, cats eat to feed, um, feed um, to satisfy their proteins. So once they hit a sufficiency of protein, they will stop eating. Once pigs uh, reach a sufficiency of carbohydrates, um, they will uh, they will stop eating and once they reach a sufficiency of fat as well they will stop eating okay if you have too much fiber and not enough fat um your feed conversion will go down because they won't eat enough fat to utilize the proteins that they are eating all right so protein is needed in the diet because pigs my friends cannot manufacture a whole host of amino acids. The most important one, one of these we call lysine because amino acids build on each other. So you have, they're, they're like building blocks of, of, of each other. And any of you who have taken biochemistry and taken your, taken your amino acid test, you start at the first one and then you just keep building through the 21st or whatever it is. And dietary lysine requirements in early life is really quite high around 1.7% but it decreases as the pig gets older to about 1.4%. Okay, so now again, I wanna emphasize, this is something from CAFO-fed uh, standards, okay? 
1.4% lysine in feed in a cathode hog, pretty easy to uh, measure, much more difficult for a hog out on pasture. But I will tell you, your grasses and things, pretty low on lysine, so don't worry about it. Mm. All right, but by the time they are out and about like six months old, five, six months old, 1.4% lysine, okay? And then um, growing and finishing and that sort of thing, uh, which is again in cathode hogs around six months, 1.12%. Uh, late finishing one, uh, 0.71%. Okay, so for those of you who are putting animals out on pasture and who they are, um, who are raising them to 9, 12, 15 months old, very low levels of lysine are needed, which is good because it's one of your more um, expensive um, uh, building blocks to feed. So from a practical standpoint, the amino acids uh, that are important in the diet that are most likely to be deficient are lysine, tryptophan, threonine, and methionine, okay? You're gonna wanna come back to this, all right? I promise, so just take it slow, take notes, and, and come back to this. Corn, which is the basic grain in most diets, is very deficient in lysine and tryptophan. So those are those top two, but it's fine in threonine and methionine, okay? The other principal grains we feed pigs, um, grain, sorghum, barley, wheat, those are low in lysine and threonine, okay? But they're fine in tryptophan and methionine, okay? So we're, we're, we're getting better, okay? In soybean meal, the limiting amino acid is methionine, which means not lysine, my friends. So it's in um, combining soybean meal with cereal grains, with a variety of cereal grains, including corn, that we get a complete feed for our animals, okay? Now, I am a big believer in feeding milk products to hogs because um, they can, they can, one, milk is a complete protein. So if you can get actual milk, so there's milk and milk products, right? If you can get actual milk, it's great for hogs. It, it is a totally complete protein and your pigs will get all the protein that they need in milk. <laughs> okay. Um, however, if you don't have access to whole milk, you do have access to whey. Whey is actually very low in protein. So all that protein got left in with the cheese, right? However, whey is still really good. Whey still has, has lots of things going for it. It's just not quite as good as regular milk. If you are feeding milk in a diet, no more than 40% of the diet because milk is full of saturated fatty acids. The more saturated fatty acids in a hog's diet, the harder the fat will be. If you're eventually making salumi with a whole hog, knock yourself out, that's great. But, and, and that's the kind of, you know, that's, that's what you need. You need really hard back fat for salumi. However, if you have other things that you want to do, you're going to want to knock that fat percentage or, or that dairy percentage back from 40%. It's probably, if you're, if you're doing like a whole hog charcuterie program, you're going to want to have it be more than, more than I would say probably 20%. If you're doing an acorn or other um, nut finished hog program, 
then you have a completely different fat profile and you need to figure out once you take off those hams and you have the delightful succulent fat on the hams, the fat on the speck and that sort of thing, you got a whole rest of your hog to deal with. So what are you gonna do with all that soft fat? Oh, you're not gonna make bacon out of it. All right, so um, so that's milk, all right, and a little bit of fats and, 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 and fat. I did a whole thing on the salt-cured pig on fat, so go join the salt-cured pig if you're not there, and go watch my um, live on fat and fat curing and that sort of stuff. Okay, so where does this leave you? What do you, what do you need to do? Pigs need protein. I highly recommend against blood meals because of disease risk, and we don't really import blood meals, thank heavens, but we, there is blood meal feeding here in the United States. Um, and just about every swine veterinarian will recommend it. Uh, I'm pretty leery about it, but, um, and I'm also, if you've talked to me at all, garbage feeding is another source of protein. I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> so I would say garbage feeding is out. So here's my recommendation, which is pasture for forage, and then add a grain corn and soy mixture that gets you the carcass quality that you want, which means you're gonna have to be measuring carcass quality, friends. But you should be doing that anyway, all right? So what are you actually gonna feed? You're gonna feed no more than 7% carbs, okay? And we're gonna assume what they're foraging for and rooting for and all of that sort of stuff out there is, is I don't wanna say marginal because it can, I mean, acorns are a pretty big source of food for hogs right now, but, um, but when they're out there foraging and, and rooting in the ground and things like that and eating stuff up, that's mostly they're getting carbohydrates and they're getting proteins and grubs and things like that. All right. So, and of course, grubs and, and insects and things that they eat out there, complete source of, complete source of protein. When you have creep feeders, so they're just about leaving mama, they need 18 to 20% protein. When they're growing, so between 50 and 125 pounds, 15 to 16% protein. As they're finishing, 125 to 240 pounds, 13 to 14% finishing, uh, 13 to 14% protein. Okay, and then um, as they are going into, so this is important to know. If you are keeping them for your reproduction programs, for your replacement guilt program, um, those replacement gilts and things like that, once they're breeding, they need between 13 and 14%. And if you're keeping a boar, he needs between 15 and 16%. Okay, so plenty of fat uh, there, you know, in these diets, they, they are getting fat from the grains. They're getting a teeny amount of fat from their forages. Um, and they will eat, um, and they'll get, they'll get, um, uh, those, they'll get enough fat with that corn, soy, grain mix. Okay. And it'll be a generally non-structured fat because most of the fat comes from the soybean meal and the corn meal. Okay. I want to put a note out there. Do not for the love of God, put a salt lick out there with a the pig because you will get salt toxicity with your pig. Okay. They need limestone. They probably need phosphate, and they need some mineralized salts, but not free access to salts, okay? And at the end of the day, why this all matters is because of carcass quality. We feed to create carcass quality, all right? And that is 
what um, that's what the point is. So be measuring your carcass quality. Know what sort of fat cap you want. Know what sort of finishing size that you want. Have a good idea about what you want about marbling and adjust your feeding accordingly. Okay. So that's what uh, that's what we have. If you like what we're doing, get book a call with me, folks, because I love to talk to people about this. We are going to start training people in how to do this, all right? I'm doing a certification program next year. It is going to be amazing. DM me. Get in touch with me. I'm all over the place. Follow me on Instagram. <laughs> all righty. And I love you very much, and that's what we got for the podcast today. Have a week full of awesome, my friends. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Be sure to join us in the Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.